We're going to continue um, through our series for the fall by looking at uh, patterns of the world that Paul tells us that we are not to conform to. And the key to, to all this is, is the renewal of the mind. So he says in Romans 12, um, don't be conformed to patterns of the world, but be transformed through the renewal of your mind. And so the patterns of the world, that would, would basically just be the fact that we live, we're born into a world that is separated from God. And when you're separated from God, uh, everybody has this uh, leaning toward uh, themselves in every possible way. And so when everybody on the planet is kind of looking out for themselves, you press all that together and there kind of just becomes this... Um, this way of thinking and doing things that you just kind of you kind of grow up in this weird attitude, this kind of weird way of thinking, and and so you form certain ideas and certain opinions about things and, and how life works and who God is and who we are and that kind of stuff. And so, what Paul is saying is is that look, there are patterns in of like worldly thinking in regard to pretty much everything out there. You are to not conform to the way uh, the way that you're taught to think about things. But you're to let God transform your life by teaching you how to think in a new way. And so God is constantly teaching us how to, how to think inside of his kingdom. And so you have this world, this kingdom of the world way of thinking. And God's saying, like, no, in, in my kingdom, where Jesus is the king, there's just a completely different way of doing things. And so we've spent the last several weeks exploring all these different uh, patterns uh, in regard to who God is, in regard to who we are. And we started last week in looking at some of the patterns in, in the ways that we relate to one another. And we're going to look at one tonight that I believe is, is probably, the mo- probably the most hindering thing in our interpersonal relationships. And uh, it's, it's something that, that I, I deal with a lot in counseling people and in just discipleship situations. And then when you sit down with somebody and they're, they're going through something difficult... A lot of times at the root, there's a, there's a forgiveness issue. There's a withholding of forgiveness from someone because of what they've done and that kind of stuff. And it's not only the case in what I do. Megan does the same stuff. Uh, everybody I know that's in ministry, everybody I know that's a counselor, you start talking to them. And, and it's pretty much uh, going to come down to a wrong way of thinking, uh, either about who you are or who God is. Or a wrong way of thinking about what uh, about how you're supposed to relate to another person, especially if that person has hurt you. And it's that forgiveness and, and how we a lot of times don't really know what that looks like. I think that holds us back. And so uh, I was trying to, to think through, okay, patterns of the world in regard to forgiveness. I was trying to like kind of pick one, but there's so many of them. Because the world has no idea what forgiveness is. Because in order to know what forgiveness is, you have to know Jesus because he's the author of forgiveness. And so there's all kind of weird, uh, weird patterns of thinking. Uh, a couple of them, um, forgive and forget. Like that's, a, that's like what the world thinks that forgiveness is. You just got to forgive and forget. And you know you can't do that. You, know? you can't forget what happened. It's impossible to do that. What they're really saying is like, you just got to put it out of your mind. Just, just don't think about it. But when someone has hurt you, you can't forget about it. So that's one of them. Another one is that, uh, that forgiveness is, is basically you have to like tell, tell whoever hurt you what you did to me. It's, it's really okay. 
If that's what forgiveness is, you just got you just, just whatever. And so there's, there's that weird way of thinking about forgiveness. That no, if I if I do that, then I'm saying I'm validating what they did to me, and I refuse to validate what happened. Um, some people see forgiveness as being uh, like just a sign of of weakness, you know, or it's it's, it's a weak move. Um, and we don't live in a world where weakness is, you know, is, is very attractive. We live in a world where it's all about power and control and whatever. And so forgiveness seems to be, you know, the antithesis of that. And, and so there's just all these like, weird things about forgiveness that the world's kind of like tried to figure out. Because everybody knows you're supposed to forgive. And everybody instinctively knows, okay, there's, there's something not cool between us and we've got to get past it. But apart from Jesus, you, don't, you won't know how to do that at all. And so we're going to look at Jesus, the great forgiver, and what he has to tell us about forgiveness. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Matthew uh, 18. Um, we're going to check this out. I'm going to try to do this. I don't know if I can control it from here or not. It went away. Um, but I put some visual things together because sometimes that's really you know, helpful uh, to really all of us. Um, so in Matthew 18... Um, Jesus was just asked this really killer question because like most of us, his disciples, like they wanted, they wanted a rule, you know, like they wanted to know, okay, how exactly, how exactly do I get through uh, this when someone offends me, someone hurts me? Like, how do I, how do I get past this deal? Let's look at what it says. Verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do, not, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So then he launches into this uh, parable. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay? That's like $6 billion in our day. Okay? Uh, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. Okay, so we'll stop right there. Okay, this this is exactly what um, this is how the world works. Okay, and if this thing was working, unlike the world, then and and I would like show you this progression of events. This is what happens in the parable. The first thing that happens is the guy borrows money, six billion. Okay? That's, that's what started all this. He borrowed something. And that created this financial debt. So now he owed the master $6 billion. And so what does the master do? The master makes him pay the debt. $6 billion. That's the progression of, event, of events. He borrows it, so he goes into debt, and then the master makes him pay it. And that's how that's how our, how our world works. Okay, if you if you want to borrow five grand to uh, buy a car or something or a house, whatever, uh, you go you you borrow five thousand dollars, you borrow the money, then you are now indebted to whoever loans you the money. So let's say the bank. And what does the bank do? The bank makes you pay it. They don't say if you want to pay us back, you can. But if you you know whenever you get around to it, whatever. No. There's a schedule, there's interest involved, there's whatever. And if you ever do a mortgage and you have to sign that thing that tells you how much you actually pay for your house after like 30 years, then you just want to throw up. That's how the financial world works. And it's interesting to me that this is Jesus' response to a question about forgiveness. 
that instead of explaining something you know, about like interpersonal skills and all this kind of stuff, he goes to debt. Even in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus is talking about forgiveness, he says, forgive us our debts. And so I wonder if, because Jesus is a brilliant teacher, if he's like, okay, they aren't going to understand this interpersonally, but they're going to understand debt. So I'm going to teach them something deeper by, by starting with something that they can understand. We all understand debt. And the thing about debt is that every debt gets paid. All right? You borrowed it. You go to financial debt. Right? And they make you pay it. So this is, this is how things work in our world. You borrow the money. You go into debt. They make you pay it. And so what this is, essentially, it's up to this point in the story, like this is, this, is a, um, this is how the world works situation. This is a kingdom of the world perspective on forgiveness so far. And then the, uh, the story, it changes just a little bit. Um, so look at the next, next couple of verses, verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, and forgave him the debt. So Jesus, he changes the way that things are normally. So guy owes $6 billion to his master. He comes in and he says, I, I can't possibly pay this debt. And so the master released him and forgave the debt. That released him and forgave the debt, that's, that's forgiveness for us. And the story goes on, and you know, we may get to that, we may not, but that's, that's what forgiveness is for you and I. He released him, and he forgave the debt. And, this is, and here's, here's what I mean. Um, Jesus, Jesus introduces a new way to handle debt. This is, this is the new option down here. Debt is forgiven. So borrowing money, incurring financial debt, can go one of two ways. Jesus introduces a new option. So what does that have to do with human forgiveness? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, okay, so the starting point in human forgiveness, in, instead of borrowing money in the financial one, uh, the starting point for us is, is hurt. Like somebody hurts you. They say something about you. They let you down. They betray you. Um, I could go on and on and on. But you know what hurt is. Every one of us has been hurt all of our lives. Almost seems like just constantly. There's this, all these things. And sometimes it's really big stuff. And sometimes it's just little bitty things that hurt us. But for some reason, interpersonally, that's, it's just kind of the way, it's just a part of fallen humanity. And the sin that we've been singing about Jesus overcoming, that's where human trafficking comes from. That's why there are kids without parents. And that's, you know, that's why these things exist out there, because of the fallenness of man. And one of, the, one of the outworkings of that fallenness and that separation from God is that we just naturally hurt one another. And so that starts this cycle going forward. So you get hurt, and there's this emotional debt that, that happens. And it's weird, because with financial debt, you, you, know, you know exactly what you owe, Right? That guy owed $6 billion. If you have a car note or a house note or school loans or something like that, you can pick up the phone and call whoever, and they can tell you exactly how much you owe. But emotional debt, like you, you, can't, you can't quantify that. You, know, you can't, can't really put your finger on it. And so it makes it really difficult to deal with something when you can't really explain what it is. Like all you know is, uh, you did this to me, and I feel this way about it. 
But the reason why that's debt is because there's this, there's this unspoken like, mindset that we get whenever we've been hurt. And it's saying, you owe, me the, you owe me something because you hurt me. You did this to me, so you owe me. I don't know what you owe me. I don't know what's going to pay off this debt. But you aren't getting away with it. That's what happens. Which brings us to the next one. So you decide, I'm going to make you pay. Whoever hurt you, you find a way to make them pay for what they did to you. So you, you, you cut them out of your life. You write them off. You say, you're, you're dead to me. You know? Or you, you create some distance. Maybe you make them pay by making sure all your friends know how terrible they were to you. Maybe you get on a blog and you just let them have it. Maybe you put it on Facebook or you tweet about it. And that's the world we live in. Somehow you're going to make them pay. And sometimes it's, it's even the kind of thing of like, all right, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you pay now. I'm going to make you pay later. And the next time they hurt you, they get double the payback or whatever. But this, this is how it works for us. If we live in the kingdom of the world, this is how it works. This is the pattern of the world. And so that's how the parable of the unforgiving servant connects to forgiveness is that the, it's the same progression of events. It's just one is dealing with money and one is dealing with emotion. But left to our own, our instinct is going to be, I'm going to make you pay for what you did. And so by Jesus changing the game in the parable and the master releasing him and forgiving him the debt, he introduces a new option for us of how to handle hurt. And that's what it looks like. It's the same thing. Instead of making them pay, the debt is forgiven. And so at this point, what I would say to you is that, uh, and we're going we're gonna to look at what that means here in a second, but I want you to, to, to embrace the fact that there is another way to handle your hurt than by making them pay for what they did to you. There's another way, there's a kingdom of God way to deal with the fact that sometimes people say things they shouldn't say, they let us down, they, they break our hearts, they do all these things. There's a, a way of dealing with that inside the kingdom. And it doesn't look like that top line. It brings in that bottom step as an option that it is possible for that emotional debt that's created by hurt to be absorbed and forgiven just like the master did with the financial debt. And you know what's weird about that financial debt? Is that it's not that the debt didn't go paid. Every debt gets paid. Just the master decided that he would be the one to pay it. Like he would absorb the loss instead of making the servant pay it. It'd be like if, you're, if, if Sally Mae called you up. Is that who does student loans, Sally Mae? Some of y'all know, like, yes, she's on speed dial. Uh, if they were to call you and say, hey, uh, we're going to forgive the debt. You don't owe us this $6,000 anymore. It wouldn't be that nobody paid the debt. It would be that they just absorbed it. They paid your debt for you. Every debt gets paid. Every emotional debt gets paid. So for every hurt that happens between us, 
Somebody is paying for it. What Jesus is saying is, you know what? Somebody's going to pay for it, and it doesn't have to be the person who hurt you. What's amazing is it doesn't have to be you either. That's the crazy part. So if we really want to understand forgiveness, we have to look at the great forgiver and what he has done. So, what happens? Well, sin. Sin is where it all starts. Because of sin, we incurred this sinner's debt, which we know from the Bible is death. That that was the indebtedness that came from our sin to the Lord. So we sin against God. We hurt God. And it creates this debt that pales in comparison to the $6 billion debt from the story. And we, we incur this debt. And so the natural thing that would happen is that he makes us pay the debt. Like he makes you and me, he makes us dead. That's the way that it should happen. That would be the, the logical progression. We sin against God. We incur that debt, which is death, and He makes us pay by us dying. And you know where this is going. Jesus introduces a new option. That that debt is forgiven. So if we want to understand what forgiveness looks like between us... Okay, in a horizontal sense, interpersonally, we begin by looking at what that looks like for us vertically. And we imitate horizontally what we experience vertically. And so Jesus, instead of making us pay, the debt is forgiven. There's this little definition here. Forgiveness is a God-empowered choice to not make them pay for what they did to you. And to not hold it against them. It's a God-empowered choice. It says, I'm not going to make you pay for what you did to me. And I'm not going to hold it against you. Remember in the story, it says that, that he released him and he forgave the debt. It's two things that happen. He could have forgiven him the debt and then just held it over his head for the rest of his life. Which is terrible. But no, he said, I'm going to absorb the debt financially and I'm going to release you so you're, there's no, you're no longer obligated to me. And so what has Jesus done for us? He's absorbed that sinner's debt because he died in our place. Right? He, he said, instead of you dying, I'll die. Which is the same as saying, instead of you paying the debt, I'll pay the debt. Said, instead of making you pay for the hurt, I'll pay for the hurt. He soaks that up. And He releases us. Meaning that He doesn't hold it against us. And that's, that's why forgive and forget is such a joke. Because you can't forget what has happened. You think Jesus has forgotten your sin? That's one of my, I have lots of pet peeves. That's one of my churchy pet peeves is when, when people think that God has forgotten their sin. It's not that He's forgotten your sin. He knows every detail of everything that you've ever done. He knows details that you don't even know. He, underst- he understands all that, and He will never, ever forget it. But part of the power of the cross is that He doesn't hold it against you. That's the difference. And that's what you and I have to, to recognize, that, that in order to really totally forgive somebody, it's, it's trying to figure out, how do I, through Jesus, let this pain be absorbed, 
And how do I continue onward? I don't hold this against you. How do I remember every detail of what you did to me? And yet not hold that against you. That's why in that little definition it says it's a God-empowered choice. Because you are not awesome enough to navigate your way through that. Only through Jesus Christ absorbing that pain are we really going to be able to forgive. It's divine. It's Spirit-empowered. And so we have to be reliant on Him in that hurt to figure out how do I not make them pay and how do I not hold it against them? So if you've got some sort of issue between you and another person and you've been trying to forgive them, you've you got to surrender that. And you read the rest of the story, and so that servant, he's forgiven the $6 billion debt. He goes out, finds somebody that owes him $12,000, and goes after him. Even though he was just forgiven this ridiculous debt that he, there's no way he could pay it, he withholds that same forgiveness from someone who owes him much, much less. And so for you and I, considering, like if we, want, if we start by looking vertically, saying like, God has forgiven me of this debt, there's no way I could pay it. And why would I withhold that from you? Just because you said something bad about me, or just because you let me down, or just because my expectations weren't met, or just because whatever. Even, even, even the really serious stuff. Even the, the gut-wrenching pain that we go through that we're caused by other people sometimes. It pales in comparison to the sinner's debt that we owed. So we refuse to make them pay for what they did to us. We don't hold it against them by letting the Lord help us deal with the hurt that we've experienced. And that's usually the problem is that people don't, they don't take it to the Lord. They don't deal with it. Because they want payback. They want revenge. They want, they want them to hurt just as much and this and this and this. Jesus said, no, that's a kingdom of the world way to handle that hurt. Don't live in the kingdom of the world. Don't conform to the patterns of the world. Let a renewed mind transform your life. And so where do we, where do we go from here with this? Uh, go to Philippians 2, and we'll run through this pretty quickly. Philippians chapter 2, I believe we're able to see the mindset of the great forgiver in a way that is uh, pretty... Pretty amazing. So let's say that let's say that you're at this at that point, and you're saying, "Okay, um, I get it. I've been trying to make this person pay, or this group of people pay, or whatever. I've been handling this from a kingdom of the world perspective, and I want to be a kingdom of God forgiver. Where do I start? I think we always start with Jesus. So what was, what, what was it about Jesus? What, was it, what does the Bible tell us to help us get in the right mindset? Because if, if it's a renewed mind that transforms our lives, then a lot of us, we need transformation in the area of forgiveness. Because we've been trying to take the way the world does it and force it into the way that Christians handle it, and it's just wrong. So what does a renewed mind look like? A couple of things. Verse, the first two verses, chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by, by being, check this out, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord 
and of one mind. Okay? There, that's a, there's a lot of, of unity of thought and unity of presence in that. And so how do you start moving forward in forgiveness? I think the first thing is I think you've got to get on the same page with Jesus about it. Like, get on board with him. Ask him for his perspective on, on this hurt. And look, be, be ready for him to reframe it and you to kind of feel a little dumb. It's just part of it. He doesn't make you feel dumb because he, he thinks it's awesome to make you feel dumb. But when you've been believing a lie and then you see the truth, we always kind of feel kind of dumb, right? And it's okay. It's a good dumb. One mind, one heart, one accord with Christ. And then if, if your issue and, and the conflict is between you and another person and they're a believer, then I think that, that unity happens with them too. Now, if you're dealing with someone who's not a Christian, like there's some differences here, and I think those will be obvious. But if, if it's between you and another believer, I think that, that unity of heart and mind and being in, full, in one accord needs to happen with you vertically and with them horizontally, if possible. So that's the first thing is, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? And be ready. Be ready for him to make some adjustments, let's say, in perspective. Uh, verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You can't, uh, this can't be a revenge move. There can be no rivalry, no conceit. So if you're seeing this as a pathway to get back at them, you need to back down and go back to the unity of heart and mind thing. Because I guarantee you, being on, on the same page with Jesus has nothing to do with uh, hacking at this person. And being revengeful and spiteful. Um, this is in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, forgiveness is not for the arrogant. And I think we all know that because I think we've all experienced like true biblical forgiveness, and you recognize like you cannot be super arrogant and puffed up and go through real forgiveness. There's a humility that comes there. And getting on the same page with Jesus will help that. Uh, but you've got you to always keep that in check. You can't be arrogant. Um, it can't be about revenge. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We tend to make our hurts all about us. And forgiveness doesn't really work that way. Um, even though you're the one that was hurt, let's say... Uh, don't make it all about you. So you got to put yourself in the other person's shoes a little bit. So it's so easy to be like, I'm the victim here, and this happened to me, and this and this and this, and lose sight of like, what about the person who did it to you? You know, I mean, put yourself in, in their shoes. Just consider what it's like to be on the other side of the table. But notice that the verse, it doesn't say, ignore your own interests. It says, just don't look to only to your own interests. You've got to consider theirs as well. And so as you're praying and as you're getting on, on the same page with Jesus, I think you, you ask Him to show you, Lord, what, what does it look like on my side of the table, but what does it look like on theirs too? A lot of times we leave that out. And so you consider that. And sometimes what's best for them is you backing off a little bit. 
And you've got you to let Him show you what that looks like. But also, when you're looking out for your own interests, I think there's, and I, I wish I had time to get into this more, but um, forgiveness does not mean that you, and you put yourself back in an abusive situation. Like, that's not, that's not the end game here. Forgiveness is, I'm not going to make you pay, I'm not going to hold it against you. But it can also be like, but that doesn't mean that we're going to like necessarily be like best friends forever again. Now, you can't hate them, you know, and you can't do whatever, but sometimes they're just really, those hurts come from super unhealthy relationships, and it's okay to restructure those things. So forgiveness is not Jesus sending you back into a painful situation. Um, and that's what's so awesome is that there's no, like, there's no real like, uh, black and white on some of these things. So I think you have to let him show you exactly what, what is good for your interests and what's good for their interests. If you're not asking him, then you're probably just going to handle it on your own. And we tend to obviously mess things up. Verse 5. Have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay? Um, Christ in you, the hope of glory, all that kind of stuff. That means that um, the way that applies here is that forgiveness is completely possible in whatever it is that's going on between you and somebody else or you or a group of people or whatever. Because the great forgiver lives in you and will guide you. So forgiveness and that relationship or whatever that needs to look like, it's not something that we just wish for. It's real because Christ is in us. Verse 6, um, George in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay? He, didn't, he didn't cling so tightly to the fact that he was God that it kept him from being obedient. You, me, we cannot cling so tightly to the fact that we're, we're the hurt one, you know, we're the victim, that, that our hands never pry off of that for forgiveness. So don't hold with this tight fist on the entitlement and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's garbage. And that's evil. And that keeps us so much from, from experiencing real forgiveness. And we hold on to the fact that you did this to me, blah, blah, blah. Let go of it. Jesus didn't, he didn't grasp on tightly to the fact that he was God so much that it kept him from leaving heaven and coming here. Um, verse 7, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus, the divine one, comes to the earth and becomes one of us. He experienced a level playing field. You want to forgive somebody? Then you make sure that, that you aren't on this elevated ground above them. Because you would have never done that to them. Make sure that you are in the complete mindset that the foot of the cross, the ground is completely level. Nobody's any better, any worse. Um, Jesus leveled the playing field. And we do the same thing in forgiveness. Verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, you may have to be obedient in a way that's uncomfortable. Like you may have, like Jesus may make you the initiator of a sit-down conversation, even though in your mind, you're like, no, well, I'm the hurt one, so they should come to me. Jesus may say, look, that's not how this is going to go. You've got to be the one to do that. Or you've got you, you to just let this go. You do, as far as like, you've just got to be quiet about it. 
much as you want revenge, like Jesus may take you, like, maybe like a Daniel the Lion's Dan deal, and you might be the lion. He may be like, keep your mouth shut. But obedience to the Father is crucial as you're working through forgiveness and hurt. Because if we're not being obedient to Him, we're usually being obedient to our flesh, and that usually complicates things. Um, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's amazing reward to the obedient. And I believe, I believe wholeheartedly that if, if we stop letting these hurts rule over us, and we look to the great forgiver and say, I don't know how to do this, but you do. Will you, will you lead me forward? I believe that God will honor that, that there's a great reward for the obedient. So my encouragement would be to not, not settle. And so easy to take these hurts and just write them off and like put them out of your life and just avoid them and all this kind of stuff. And it, that's not abundance. That's conforming to the pattern of the world. That's making them pay by cutting them out of your life. And there's so many things we could get into. But Jesus has given us another way to deal with hurt. You don't have to make them pay. And you can release them. You cannot hold it against them. Because He's done that to you and I. And so we are forgiven. And we don't withhold that forgiveness from others, but we pass that on. Um, Tim Keller, he's, a, he's the first one I, I heard. He, just, he defined forgiveness as the first part of that definition of refusing to make them pay for what they did. And in one of his sermons, he and his wife, they were, or they were doing like a panel discussion or something, and uh, they were talking about forgiveness in marriage. And he said, we just, try to just, we just try to reenact the gospel over and over and over again. Just reenact the gospel together. What an amazingly simple way you take you and the person that hurt you, or maybe it's the person that you hurt, however it works, and say, hey, let's, let's let God help us reenact the gospel in this. What is the gospel? Well, you repent and you forgive. So let's repent and forgive. Let's reenact the gospel together. And let's walk in fullness of who He's made us to be. I know this was a little long. I hope it's been helpful more than anything. I, I hope that God... Uh, sometimes I think he does. I think he puts his area, uh, puts his finger on an area of our lives, and like presses in and just kind of holds it there. And so there may be somebody on your heart right now, and you you want me to stop talking one because it's been kind of long, but two, you just want me to stop so that you can put your mind on something else. And I don't think he's going to let up, and I hope he doesn't. Uh, so let me pray for us as the band comes back up. Lord, I thank you for, um, for being the perfect model of uh, forgiveness, for helping us to, to experience what it's really like, and to maybe get a glimpse of how messed up it is in the world, but how beautiful and simple it is with us, and for giving us the opportunity to, to do that, to reenact the gospel together just through the hurts and stuff. Because the, the hurt that we cause to one another, it pales in comparison to what sin 
did to you in terms of, of violating your, your holiness and your goodness and rebelling against those things. And so, Lord, help us to not withhold. We know that we, will, we don't withhold when we fully understand the grace and the kindness and the love that you have passed on to us. And so help us, God, to, um, to begin with you. To begin with the gospel, to begin with the cross. That we can, can just better understand what you've done in our lives, to us and through us. And so wherever things land today in people's hearts, Lord, I pray that pray that you would stir all of us up. That in light of the forgiveness that has come our way through, through your goodness, Lord, that we would dig into the lives around us. That we would see those hurts for what they are and um, Lord, that you would move us forward in that process. Let's all let's all stand together. We're going to sing these two last songs. And I hope that um, just through the truths of the lyrics and stuff, that God will help us just understand the gospel a little better so that we know what we're reenacting with one another. And so let's sing these as prayers and challenges for what God has for us.